There's an enormous yacht currently docked at Fedship's Amsterdam Yard. It's slightly obscured by scaffolding, and I believe at the rear there's a beach club. The mythical beach club. I'm looking forward to getting on there. The yard itself is, of course, locked off from the city, but you can see the yacht from an elevated road nearby. But to get up close, and I mean real close like I am now, forget about it. As a rule of thumb, no one is allowed on board save crew and technicians. But today, an exception has been made for me. Marcia was able to arrange something with the captain, who himself, of course, had to get approval from the owner to get me on board. And so I hop on my bike and cycle to the outskirts of Amsterdam, where I find myself standing face to face with what I'm told is one of the most beautiful yachts, and quite possibly the most beautiful yacht in the world. We're walking along the quay in Amsterdam, the shipyard, Fed Ships shipyard. We need to check in here. I think we should say there's a lot of security. Uh, we had to get a lot of permission to come make this visit today. So we're walking on board now. He's got his hands full of blue shoes. We definitely aren't allowed to wear any type of shoes on the wood on this ship. But uh, the better the better the plastic shoes and socks, I suppose. Here we go. So the, from what you can tell from the quay side, the, the boat, I have done a little bit of research. It's 94 meters, which is really, really big. Uh, 94 meters is about 10 meters less than Wembley Stadium football pitch. And I actually looked it up. It's one meter bigger than Statue of Liberty from ground to torch. Gives you a bit of an idea. Waiting for me on the aft deck is Mies, the yacht's chief officer. Along with the captain, Mies is responsible for everything and everyone on board. And there are a lot of people on board. Even though the yacht is docked, the deck is full of people washing and scrubbing and rearranging furniture and things. And you can distinguish the yacht's crew from the fed ship crew by their cotton shirts embroidered with the yacht's name, which of course I can't tell you. In fact, there's a lot I can't tell you. In addition to its name and its owner, I promised FedShip I wouldn't describe any of the fixtures in too much detail. These are the conditions I agreed to to finally climb aboard a real live working FedShip. Welcome to episode five of FedShip Uncovered. Happy crew, happy yacht. We're just gonna go through the entrance inside the boat. Uh, I'll show you the interior briefly. Then we're gonna make our way up to the bridge to meet Captain Alex. Today is inspiration day for my own yacht. But I'm also here to meet a man who goes by the name of Captain Alex. Captains are the most important people on the yacht and they're the most trusted allies of every owner. These are the guys in the know and I wanna be in the know as well. I wanna know more about life on board a luxury super yacht. You know, beyond what I've seen on the love boat and maybe below deck or, God forbid, triangle of sadness. So stay by my side. This is going to be a wild ride. Is this your first boat? Is this your first yacht? Uh, this is uh, not my first yacht, no. Um, I've been working on a handful of yachts over the past 12 years, uh, mainly fed ships. And this is the biggest one so far. Okay. What do you call this? This is the crew entrance. Okay. So this is a um, pneumatic operator door. It reminds me of Star Trek. 
That's a Star Trekky sound, doesn't it? It, it definitely has. Where's a Star the sound Trek coming sound? from? Uh, the sound comes from out of the deck heads. Yeah. It is. Um, it gets locked at night. We can uh, unlock the door by our fingerprints, okay. and then uh, when the door is unlocked, we can open the door by pressing this button. That's Star Trekky. It moves really smooth. We walk through the door and enter a hallway that stretches the entire length of the yacht. It's long. Mies is taking us to the crew area, which, the saying goes, says a lot about the luxury of the yacht. If the crew area looks great, just imagine what the guest quarters look like. Because the yacht is here for a refit, the artwork and furniture are all covered with white linen. And I mean like white, white linen, with no smudges, no dust, whiter than white. Have you ever seen a watertight door? A watertight? Water I have too. not. And why, why would I need one? Uh, to separate your uh, watertight compartments. So these you find uh, underneath the um, uh, seawater level. If in case uh, we have a leakage, leaking bilge or a collision or uh, some compartment underneath the water is flooding, we can uh, divide those compartments with a watertight door. I like how everybody's so optimistic. I mean, it's, I don't think of we have a little leakage if I have a watertight door. <laughs> well, better safe than sorry, right? And why is it located so, here? So this, we can go through this compartment and with this door, which is shut right now, the whole compartment is uh, isolated. Okay. So if the engine room is flooding for some reason right now, and we are in the flooded compartment uh, and the crew members on the other side of, the, of this watertight door, will remain dry. So this is the crew mess. This is where we have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. A uh, nice feature here is uh, the fake portholes. So we are on the lowest deck, the tank deck, and we're actually below the water surface. Uh, in order to give us a bit more of interaction with life outside, these portholes simulate the actual weather outside. So when it's going dark outside, it goes dark in here. When the sun comes up outside, the sun comes up, uh, comes but it's up not. It's here. not. But it's not real. It's fake. It's fake. Yeah. Okay. You uh, can install cameras out there so you actually could see what's really out. Yeah, there. we could. Good okay. idea. It's always yeah. nice weather down here, right? Yeah. In the crew mess, it's always good weather. Yeah. <laughs> it's never raining, at least. No. <laughs> so um, in here, this is the bow thruster room. Uh, what so, is that? So um, you're gonna need a bow thruster on your vessel as well to maneuver the boats. Hear the surprise in Mises' voice? I do. It's because I don't know what a bow thruster room is or that I actually need one. Um, this is a pretty big room though. It is a big room. Uh, in here we also have the emergency fire pump and emergency build pump, which is very important. They are here for a reason. They're far away from the engine room. Uh, in case we have a fire uh, in the engine room and we can't operate the fire pump and build pump in the engine room, we have backup over here. Um, it, it smells funky in here because they're, they're doing some painting. And, they're painting. And, everything's yeah. shiny. Everything's bright and shiny and yeah. clean. So yeah. even in this room. Even in this room. Even the stainless steels reflecting my image. Exactly. Man. Yeah. So this is the crew elevator. This is for crew um, going from the tank deck all the way up to the bridge deck or uh, provisions. So we get the tender alongside here. We disembark the, uh, the, uh, the provisions and then shift them into this elevator and the elevator then will go down to the tank deck. 
uh, and all these provisions on, on, on trolleys will go into the, the, the fridges and freezers. It sounds silly, but we're actually super proud of this, uh, this room over here. We uh, process our, our waste over here, and um, when the waste is processed, we, uh, we vacuum it and store it in the freezer. This is a high-tech waste management system Mark told me about in episode two. We can run weeks and weeks and weeks without having to go to a marina with large amount of garbage bags, with stinky old bags to discharge. We go to a marina every so often with frozen, very compact black little bags that do not stink, not dirty at all. We walk towards the back of the yacht, or in proper yachting jargon, the aft, and enter a large open space with no pillars. As with almost everything on this level, the furnishings are covered in white linen like a crystal artwork. This is the, the main deck salon. This is where uh, guests and, uh, and owners meet to lounge, have drinks, have dinner, and so on. I mean, it's, it's a suite in a hotel. Yeah. Uh, and not just a little suite, it's a proper suite. Yeah. But even all the drapes on everything is perfectly, like, dry cleaned. Everything is clean, custom-made, one of a kind. Yeah. Even the covers. Even the covers. Yeah. Even though it's cloudy outside, light floods through the enormous floor-to-ceiling windows that reach around three sides. The light and views give the salon a beachside bungalow vibe. The back opens up to a large swimming pool that stretches to the end of the stern. There are no doorknobs or latches anywhere. Mies leads me past the pool and for a brief moment, maybe like a fraction of a second, I can't help but feel a sense of pride knowing that my yacht will be the first to deploy Mark's brand new top secret anti-pool slosh technology. We head back downstairs to the beach club, which I've been told by multiple people is a must-have if I want to be taken seriously by the Mediterranean jet set. There's a bar, a sauna, and a retractable wall that folds out into a teak beach. It's closed now, but I can imagine what it's like to hang out at sea level, on your yacht, all alone, in some secluded bay. Who needs a beach when you can bring your own beach, right? We stroll through a large garage whose walls retract like those in the beach club to launch tenders and jet skis. We walk by a spa with pop-out balconies. On the tank deck, there's a squeaky clean engine room. The hybrid propulsion system Guido said I should check out. Also, there's a small desalination plant that works by osmosis, producing enough fresh water for a small island nation. So I don't go into detail, because otherwise I'd break my promise to FedShip. I've been told the owner of the yacht spent eight years chartering and studying FedShips before actually designing his own yacht. The attention to detail is so meticulous and the space is so uniquely personal that almost anything I say infringes on the owner's privacy. So I'm hedging my bets and zipping my lip. After a good hour walking around, we head to the bridge to finally meet Captain Alex. We walk through a whole lot of Star Trek doors to get there. So yeah, this is the ship's office. The bridge, also called a pilot house or a wheelhouse. Situated at the front, this is where the captain steers the yacht. I've been on a few bridges before, but this place is absurdly big by yachting standards. There's high ceilings and, are you ready for this? Floor to ceiling windows. Standing near the helm is Captain Alex himself, a tanned, happy, athletic man of more or less middle age. He welcomes me to the most important room of the yacht. 
So this is uh, where we where we steer the bridge from and where we do all the navigation. Yeah. Uh, again, very unique bridge because it's a uh, floating console. So as you can see, the bridge console doesn't just sits on two legs. So normally when you go to other boats, it's all full of cupboards and it sort of blocks your view. But because we have this feature of the windows going from floor to ceiling, we also wanted to have this uh, feature in a bridge so you actually can go around the console and stand right ne next to the windows, which okay. makes it quite unique. So especially at night when you're navigating, sometimes you get a bit of a backscatter from monitors and you can actually go in front of monitors and uh, that way you can avoid any sort of reflections in the windows. So it's, uh, it's much better for navigation. Can you tell me, I, I, I've just counted them, there's nine screens in here. Yes. How many do you actually use? Really using, we, we do three. So you need your two radars. So you have your X-band and your S-band radar, the two types of radars. And you need one for the navigation software. Um, if you want to really downscale as much as possible, then you can run with three. Um, does it look cool? We're having nine? Yes. So It definitely looks cool. <laughs> so, so like the boss, he doesn't shy any expenses and he wants the best of the best. And, uh, and we don't only have nine, you see nine screens, but we actually have another 55-inch flat screen under here as well. So, is that to watch like World Cup football and stuff? Yeah, like that? you can watch whatever you want on there, um, but it's also for navigation. So you can make your passage planning on the big screen, uh, with a, it's a touch screen, and then you can um, transfer it to the to the other monitors to uh, to look while you're navigating. When he says transfer images from the big monitor to the others on the yacht, he means it. During my tour, I saw that every guest room is equipped with a large screen TV. It's an easy way to communicate the day's itinerary and the yacht's trajectory. And all these screens bring me back to the conversation I had with Mark about my command center. Remember those? Instead of captaining from the bridge, which, looking around this place, does occupy the best real estate on the yacht, a command center can be placed below deck. And I wonder what Captain Alex thinks about this job-altering trend, and I slip it into our conversation. I'm looking at all these screens, I'm like, does the captain even need windows at all? In the future, probably not, because it's all going to become automated. And uh, there is already concepts out there where the, the bridge will be down below, below the tank deck, and it will be just a room full of monitors. But uh, by that time, I'm retired. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite little gadget here? Uh, favorite little gadget? Oof. I would say it's the, the hybrid proportion. So we can, we can reduce our uh, fuel consumption drastically by using uh, um, diesel electric. And we also have a um, battery backup. So we don't use as much fuel as a ship this size would normally do. So we're trying to go with the, with the green environment and, and try to do our part. Obviously, this was a very expensive installation. So, but the boss said, you know, this is where the future lies. And he... You know, there's always been a lot of controversy with these boats, these yachts that are out there and, uh, you know, burning a lot of fossil fuels. And we try to, you know, do our part to reduce that. Clearly, Captain Alex isn't too enthusiastic about this command center stuff. So I decide not to linger on this topic. Over the past four episodes, I've been speaking with designers and engineers, salespeople and students. I've even visited a shipyard and spoke to the men and women who build the yachts. But this is the first time I get to speak to somebody without skin in the game, so to say. Someone who knows Fedship intimately, but is not employed by Fedship. Captain Alex. I'm here to score some inside information. I want to know about life on board and about the captain himself. So my name is Alex. I am the, the captain. 
bit about my background. So I'm uh, now 47 years old. Um, I was born in the former Eastern German Republic. And when I was a little kid, I was always uh, intrigued by water. And I was born near a lake. So I started sailing naturally from a very young age, from the age of nine. Um, I took that to a professional level. So I was a professional windsurfer for 20 years. Um, represented Germany at the Olympic Games in 2000. And when I retired from, from my sports career is when I uh, discovered yachting. So I always saw these big yachts out there when I was windsurfing past them, trying to show off. And, <laughs> and thought, like, maybe they need a water sports instructor when, when I'm too old for professional windsurfing. And that's how I really started. So I uh, uh, researched an agency, a crew agency, and uh, sent them my resume. And because of my uh, sports background, I had a, had a job within the first 15 minutes of sending my resume. And that's how I get into yachting. And then what was job? What was that job you got? The water sports instructor. So How's it? yeah, so I taught uh, actually the, the kids of this uh, current owner windsurfing. That's how I started. So I started as a deckhand slash water sports instructor, and met the family in 2006 on their old boat, which was sold in 2012. And then I progressed throughout the ranks uh, within that time frame. And by 2015, I had my captain's license and. Um, our current owner asked me to uh, to do the build for him, so together with uh, our rotational captain. So, does it give you an advantage? Have you ever used professional windsurfing to get out of a sticky situation? Uh, absolutely, because uh, um, I haven't been a captain as many years as uh, let's say other captains on on boats this size. But because of my um, daily interaction with the water, the wind, the the, the waves. I can, I can, I, I think I can read the ocean very well because I had, that was always the biggest task when you were out racing, trying to, you know, get an advantage over the other guys, knowing where the wind was coming from, knowing what this cloud was going to do. So by, by having that knowledge, I can apply that to yachting. And uh, when I'm up in the bridge navigating, I can always tell the weather that's about to come. And I think that uh, is a big, big benefit for being a captain. What does a good captain need to have? What type of connection does that have to be like? Well, a captain has to have many attributes. Uh, I think the most important one is, is being organized because a boat this size, obviously you have 30 crew, you have uh, uh, up to 12 guests. So it's, uh, you know, safety is always the, the biggest concern because uh, not only you, you're steering a, a boat that's worth, you know, an excess of $300 million, but also you have, you know, 30 crew and 12 guests on board that you are responsible for. So every decision that you take uh, affects uh, the boat's operation immediately. So you got to be organized. You got to be full of energy, really, because uh, you're always on call. Uh, even though some people think the captain never does anything, but he's always there and he always has to, you know, uh, oversee everything. And uh, every decision that goes on on the boat has to go to the captain. So you always have to be there and uh, and use uh, good judgment uh, to make the right decisions. So and and on a boat, things can change quickly. You can have the nicest day out there with uh, beautiful sunshine and no wind. And two minutes later, you can have 45 knots of wind or even more and, and hail and storm. And that's when you got to keep your, your calm and cool and uh, make the right decisions. You're dealing with, of course, billionaires. Who has the last word? Uh, that's very clear when it comes to safety, always the captain. So uh, there's, uh, of course, owners always try to push, push their decision because they don't, they don't like no for an answer. But when I think that uh, safety is of concern, then I uh, will definitely overrule. And uh, yeah, that gives that uh, causes arguments. But in the end of the day, when when the owner sees that you're doing the right decisions, he will always back you up. So, have you have you were you captain of other yachts other than Fed ships or? Have you- 
Um, I've been fortunate enough to have mostly just steered uh, fat chips, and uh, that taught me quickly that fat chip is by far the best shipyard out there. So that's what everybody keeps telling me. Right? <laughs> so I want to know why. So you've been, you're, you're, you, you pilot, so you'll know. So you're kind of like my inside info guy. Give me the lowdown. What makes FedShip a FedShip? Uh, FedShip, I think, uh, obviously is a, has a long tradition. Um, so they've been building boats yeah, for a very long time. And they have progressively gotten bigger and bigger. So the, the knowledge hasn't gone away. It just kept building. Um, I think their carpentry is second to none. So which, which you always see on the interiors when you walk throughout FedShip's. That uh, you know everything is meticulously um, uh, handmade, is custom made. Uh, Fetchup is fully customizable. Other shipyards they have uh, they usually give the owner the option, like let's say two three options from the main deck down, and that's what you have to go with. Well, Fetchup says we can customize anything. So if the owner wants a small engine room, he gets a small engine room. If the owner wants to spend more time in the engine room, he gets a bigger engine room. So FedShip is always always willing to to adapt to the owner's request. Uh, FedShip is is always built uh, with with sound insulation in mind. So usually FedShip is very quiet, which obviously for this podcast is not ideal because uh, you want to record noises, but there there hardly is any. They try to stay within their budgets. They're always very accommodating when it comes to change orders. So as you may imagine, through a build that takes between three and five years, you go to other boats and you see an idea that you like and you want to incorporate it into, into your yacht, Fetcher would always be saying, like, sure, we can make it happen. It might cost you a bit more money and a bit more time, but you will always get your wish. Have they ever said no to you? Has, has anybody no. at Fetcher ever said no? <clears throat> no, they haven't, actually. I cannot remember that they ever said no to something that we asked for. So with a lot of these luxury brands, like they, also, they always have kind of a little gimmick or signature, like Tesla has its beast mode. The Rolls-Royce has like this umbrella in the door that blow dries. Does the FedShip have a signature? I don't think in a way because of the customization aspect of the, of the FedShips. I think the exterior lines, when you see a FedShip versus another a shipyard, you will always be if you if you know fat chips, you will always be able to tell what a fat chip is because of the lines. They're usually very beautiful fat chip lines. They're always nice curved lines. Everything's very proportional. Everything's very symmetric. Even though the owners can change the look of their boat as much as they want, but you always will see that that a fat chip um, design shines through. So I think the exterior lines will always be able to tell you what a fat chip is and what 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 not. Feeling we have a good enough rapport by now, I ask a question that has been burning inside of me since I began this project. What is it like on board? Like, what is it really like on board? It's definitely nothing like Below Decks. <laughs> I know many people uh, watch, watch that show, Below Decks, and uh, I have a lot, lot of friends at home that watch it, and they say, tell me, is it really like that? Like, do you have this kind of drama? And uh, I say, no, this mostly, that show is mostly um, scripted, and the drama is, uh, is asked for. Um, having said that, of course, you know, when you have 30 crew members on board, um, mostly young people, they do, you know, like to, uh, socialize. They look, they like to have a, a life outside of work. And since you are staying on the boat, there's always, you know, the one or two parties going on and you as a captain, you have to try to, um, keep it within, within, within the limits. So, so yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on board. Um, and it's always my job to try to keep him keep him at bay 
you know, I'm designing my own yacht. I'm a little bit afraid of what it's going to cost me after <laughs> after I get my yacht. What should I watch out for? I mean, what are we talking about? Be aware of your operational costs <laughs> because they they can vary quite uh, quite heavily depending on the usage of the boat. So if you are somebody that likes adventures, you like to send your boat all around the world, obviously you're going to have uh, a few costs. Um, you're going to have lots of travel costs for your crew, you know, incoming crew, outgoing crew. So these these things are hard to predict because uh, every owner likes to use his boat in a different way. Some boats are only seasonal boats, so they only sit uh, one season in the Mediterranean, then they go into port and sit there for six months. You know, we have done 35,000 miles on this boat in two years, so we have cruised extensively, which obviously drives the, the, the costs, you know, not only fuel costs, but maintenance costs for the engines, generators. So all this has to be taken into account. You can see how much of a neophyte I am because I'm like, do I have to fly the crew business class or economy? How does that work? Like Again, that's uh, up to you and the captain to, to negotiate. Uh, uh, I think industry standard these days, like crew get a lot more benefits these days than 10, 15 years ago when, when I started. Um, normally these days, the captain is uh, pretty much non-negotiable business class. Um, or your heads of departments, uh, if they have been you know around for a while, it's an incentive, right? So if to run a good boat and to have a good experience as an owner, the, it's a cheesy saying, but the crew makes the boat, right? So you can build the most beautiful yacht in the world if you don't have good crew, knowledgeable crew, um, you know, friendly crew that that you can socialize with, you your experience will suffer. So you want to make sure that you hire a crew that you are very happy with, and to get a happy crew. You have to give them benefits. So I, I want my crew to like me. Yeah. Like generally. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, and it, will, it will work. It will work in your favor, no matter. No matter. Okay, give what. me three things. What are three things I need to do to make my crew outside of salary? Let them use your toys. So your water sports toys that will go a long way with the deck crew, because most of the deck crew is young. They are usually all into sports, and if they can use, let's say, the jet skis, if they can use the windsurf boards, if they can use the paddle boards. That's that's a very easy giveaway from the owner because it doesn't cost you any money. And it will go a long way with the crew. Interior, send more for a spa appointment after a big trip. Uh, send the crew away for a crew dinner. You know, a small cost with big impact, you know, because the, the crew will realize, hey, the owner does something for us. Next time he comes back, we'll do something for him. You know, it's not always about money. Yeah, of course, in the end of the day, salary is uh, is the selling factor because they don't know you, right, before they join the boat. They look at their contract and they see the, the salary, they see the time off, they see the whatever flights they get. And based on that, they will say yes or no. But once they're on board, you can incentivize and create longevity by doing these little things for them. And as captain, you do the hiring, right? If I say, Captain Alex... Will you captain my boat? And you're like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. You'll get your salary. Whatever you ask, you get. <laughs> nice. You can fly first class with me. How do you make sure I have my crew? It's my crew. And they, and they kind of like Well, you me. and me will sit down and uh, we will discuss about how you want to use the boat, where you want to go with the boat. And, and based on that, I will use my experience. And usually captains, they always have a pool of crew that they have worked with previously and that they like to rehire and that they can trust. And if these, if if I think that that crew also would work well for for your usage of the boat, that's how I would hire them. So if I let's say hire a chief engineer, you know, because a chief engineer is obviously very important to the vessel, especially when it's as complex as this boat, 
um, you want a higher chief engineer with, with good experience and with good longevity. And usually a captain has always somebody that he's worked with previously and they will try to rehire these people. Um, now, if they already hired another boat, then sometimes, like I said, you have to incentivize them to leave that boat and come to your boat. So let's talk a little bit. Let's talk waves. Let's talk where we're going to go. I want to surf waves alone or with a couple of buddies. I don't want all the localism anymore. I, I don't want to per- fight for waves. I have the perfect place for you. See, this is what I'm saying. <laughs> so are you the guy that finds the waves for me? I mean, clearly, you're the guy. This would be my dream job, finding waves for you on a yacht. <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's sign contract right now. <laughs> let's let's where are we going? Let's let's do let's let's so so the, the number one spot in the world would be the Mentawai Islands in Indonesia. I don't know if you heard of them. I have. Yeah. So it's a it's an island chain just off Sumatra, and it's very hard to get to. Um, That's they, what we want, right? We yeah, want hard to get to exactly because the most beautiful uh, uh, places in the world are so remote. The only way to access them is by boat. So if you have a yacht, basically. Sky's limit, right? So, so we can go anywhere we want with a yacht. And if you're into surfing, the Mentawa Islands is where you want to be because the waves there are incredible. They're super consistent, 365 days a year, and the maximum amount of people you'll be in the water at any given time is is you, me, and maybe three, four others. <laughs> okay, so that's good. That's stop. That's stop one. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, stop two, I would probably say um, the Maldives. Yeah, because there's a break in the Maldives. This is my thing. There's this hotel that's claimed this island in the Maldives, and you have to stay in the hotel he to be able to surf the waves. Can we sneak onto those waves uh, with my with the yacht? Can we like crash in, in the Maldives? You you can get to these, but not by sneaking in because uh, a yacht is very hard to to disguise. So, so we have a tender, right? Yeah, we have a, yeah. But you can you can always go to the resort and on that island and say, hey, we would like to. Uh, um, Access your wave, and uh, for a small fee, they will let you let you get onto it. Is that so easy? It's usually that okay. easy, yeah. So that's one and two. And if I had to give you a third spot, I would say South Africa. But I don't like surfing in a wetsuit and in cold water and with that's, big fish around. So. We're on the same. Well, unless if you're going to do cold water, then surf like a, a story wave, like an Alaska or something, right? Yeah. Let's just go yeah. cold. Go real cold, yeah. 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 Because <laughs> and then then it's then it's yeah. worth it. You have an yeah. experience. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking. Come on, what are the chances? I want to use my yacht to access remote waves, and the very first captain I meet already knows all the secret surfing spots around the globe. Clearly, there's a connection, and more than that, actually. For the first time, I can actually picture what my life on board a Fedship could look like. Just me, a few buddies, and Captain Alex chasing some warm water waves. What do, what do you think I need? From speaking to you in this in this last the experience, uh, half an hour, I would say have big uh, big garages with lots of space for for your tenders and your toys, because that's that's in my opinion what a yacht is there for, to to take you and your toys to whatever location you want to go and then use those toys. I wouldn't spend too much time on the cabins. I wouldn't spend too much time on the salons because you will not be spending much time in those. So, you know, some owners, they always want the most beautiful cabins, the biggest cabins, the biggest salons, the biggest galleys. But at the end of the day, you you take your boat to a destination where you want to enjoy the destination. You know, good food, you can have at home, you can have at the hotel, you can have at the restaurant or a big hotel room. This is sort of your your floating floating island, right? And and you want to be outside most of the time. So this is this would be my advice. Uh, maximize the exterior spaces and minimize the interior spaces, but 
that's just me from my experience and the way I would use the boat. And by speaking to you, I think you you and me have a similar mindset. This is this is secretly a job interview. Uh, you're hired, man. Okay. You're, <laughs> All right, we're going you. surfing. Captain Alex has given me a few good ideas, but also seeded a little bit of doubt. Yes, I need to keep my crew happy. And yes, I need to increase my budget for marine toys, even if it means sleeping in smaller bedrooms. That's okay. But what sticks with me most are the operating costs. I've been so busy designing my yacht that I never once consider routine maintenance or even roadside assistance. What happens if my engine gives out in Antarctica? And what if we run aground on some secluded bay? And what happens if I'm boarded by pirates? In the next episode, I'll head back to FedShip's headquarters to find out the answers to these questions and more. Once my yacht is delivered, you're maybe the second most important guy in my life after my captain. <laughs> that is probably true. And it's, it's funny that you put it like that. And I'll also head back to Malcolm for a look at a very special project FedShip is working on. Uh, so when we tried to start the collaboration, it appeared in the papers and we got a lot of uh, reactions from inside and outside. Everybody was asking, why would you do that? You'll hear all this and more in episode six of FedShip Uncovered. 